So we're continuing our series this morning on the full armor of God with the sermon, uh, Wearing Dunamis, the Shoes of Readiness. Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I've come to tell you this morning that many of us have traded the shoes of readiness for the slippers of apathy. Peace is found in the going. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your glorious presence that is in this room this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you have filled this place with your presence. Holy Spirit, we don't make room for you in this building. We don't make room for you in our hearts. We don't just make room for you in our church. But God, we give you the room. We give you all of it. Have your way, Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way in this service. Lord, I lay down comparison and performance and the need to impress. I thank you that nobody came to hear me speak, Lord, but we all came to hear you. So you ask that you would speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Give us eyes to see what the Spirit is doing and ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. We declare no spirit, but the Holy Spirit is welcome in this room. So spirit of religion, you have to go. Spirit of witchcraft and confusion, you have to go. Holy Spirit, this place belongs to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. 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 The Lord spoke to me this week. I believe that God really wants to touch some people in this room today. And I said, Lord, is that what you want me to tell them? It's like sometimes you hear from the Lord and you go, duh, right? You want me to tell the people God really wants to touch you? And, but I felt like at the beginning of this message, I was supposed to tell you and to plant a seed of faith in your spirit to believe God that he's going to touch you in a powerful way. How many have already felt the presence of the Lord this morning? Can we thank the worship team for leading us into his presence? My lovely wife was the one right there in the center in the white shirt. And it's the first time that she has, not saying, but led worship in almost three years. And um, she just killed it. I love her. She's pretty awesome. Um, but God wants to touch some people today. I heard a, a few people ask questions. A, a, a few weeks ago, something happened here in a service that doesn't happen, happen often. But people began to fall out in the presence of the Lord. More like fly backwards, fall out. <laughs> And our, our medical team was like, um, are they fainting? Is it that hot? Like, what's happening here? It was the presence of God. And I heard somebody say a quote this week because people have been asking questions. First of all, it's in the Bible. It's all through the Bible. People begin to shake and they're overcome and fall out into the glory. And I hear people say all the time, that's just emotionalism. All this crying in church and falling out in church, it's emotionalism. And my question is, how do you come face to face with the creator of the universe, the lover of my soul, my purpose and reason for living, and not get emotional? 
You see, the religious spirit always hates the move of the Holy Spirit. Always. So when you begin to see people operate in freedom, so the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And if you see people operating in freedom and it makes you angry, you need to take that to the Lord. You need to ask the Holy Spirit, why does, does, does a move of the Lord where people respond, why does that anger me so? And ask the Lord to deliver you from a spirit of religion. I heard somebody say, sometimes God and man collide, and when that happens, God always wins. So if you wonder why people fall down, sometimes God and man collide, and I promise you, if that happens to you, God always wins. Somebody said, well, I don't believe in that. Okay. <laughs> All right. You don't have to. Uh, I was, I've, you, many of you know my testimony, but I was raised in church and was in ministry for a long time. And there was a season of ministry that was very painful for us. And I had made a decision that I wasn't going to be a part of ministry anymore. I made this inner vow. I love it. God must just crack up laughing at us. Like inside, I'm like, I'm never going to do this again. Lord's like, ha, ha, you think you have any control over what you're going to do with your life? That's funny. You know, and and so I began to seek the Lord again, and I actually showed up to a church service, and, and I was closed off, and my heart was shut off, and I didn't want to receive anything from God. And I came there because my brother had invited me, and I was going to watch him lead worship, and I was like, ah, I'm done. And the pastor came. Well, actually, I, I felt the Holy Spirit just pick me up out of my chair, draw me to the altar, and the pastor walked over, and my hard heart collided with the Lord. And guess what happened? <laughs> Boom. I was on the ground. And I didn't get up for about an hour. I didn't move. And the Holy Spirit did a work in my life and changed me. And I believe that the Lord wants to encounter some of us in this room that way this morning. So the word of the Lord over our church for this year in the year 2023, the prophetic word is the word dunamis. And that is a Greek word that simply means power. We are believing that in this year, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to go from on us to in us, and to through us. The power of the Holy Spirit isn't just going to rest on us, but he will be imparted into us and work through us. We believe that God is empowering us to strengthen and fortify. It has been a year of strengthening and fortifying in every area. Everything that can be shaken has been shaken. Many of you have changed careers Situations in relationships have been shaken. Weak spots have been revealed and the Lord has been strengthening and fortifying us. And we've been praying and asking the Lord and he told us that at the end of the year, we would finish this year strengthening and fortifying our faith with the full armor of God. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For, when we, do not, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is spiritual warfare. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's a lot in that scripture. There's a lot of direction, a lot of practical application from the word of God. Throughout this week, read this scripture. Read it to your family. Read it to yourself. Meditate on this word. Ask the Holy Spirit to clothe you in the full armor of God. Every day when you get up, put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and the belt of truth and the shoes of peace and the shield of faith. Pick up the sword of the Spirit. Do what this what the word says, pray in the spirit, praying at all times in the spirit with prayer and supplication and keep alert. Understand that we are in a spiritual battle. There is a devil. I said, there is a devil. Are y'all awake? Are you awake? Let's wake up. There is a devil and the devil is looking to, uh, to kill you. The devil wants, the Bible says, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. You see, some of us have the enemy confused with the little puppet that was in kids' church. Anybody raised in kids' church? Some of y'all are too young, and y'all had, like, videos and black lights. We didn't. We had felt boards and puppets. And the puppets that have one eyebrow hanging off. Y'all see, some of y'all grew up in church. Have a little puff of hair. That puppet has been through some stuff. You can look at the puppet in his eyes, and he's like, I've been through stuff. Got a testimony. But that little gray puppet would come up, right? It has a little thin mustache, the little horns, the devil puppet. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The devil puppet would say stuff. And some of us had grown up and think that the devil is that little felt puppet. And he's, I don't know why they always give him an Italian accent. What's up with that? Any Italians in the room? I'm so sorry from my heart to you. But that devil, we think that that's the devil, that the devil is some little felt puppet that'll whisper in our ear and then we just put him back in the drawer. And he's not looking for us. No, no, no. The devil is conniving and evil and wicked. Whatever wickedness you can imagine, you cannot even begin to scratch the surface of the wickedness of the enemy and what he wants to do in your life. He wants you to die. He wants to kill you, but before you're dead, he wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy the lives and the legacy and the future of your children. He wants you completely and utterly destroyed, and then when you die, he wants to take your soul to hell for all of eternity, separated from God. This is the spiritual battle that we are in. It is a battle for eternity. God told us this year that he is creating warriors, He is undergirding us and strengthening us so that we may be warriors because we are in a battle. And the battle, I don't know if you've noticed outside in the world, the battle is intensifying. Things aren't getting better, they're getting worse. And things are starting to look more and more what the Bible told us they would look like at the end of times. You know, we read the Bible, the Bible tells us exactly what to expect. Then when it happens, we're shocked. The Bible says in the last days, men will call good evil and evil good. In the last days, they will reject the truth in favor of a lie. They will want to believe a lie. The Bible tells us these things. That's why we live in a society that says things like men menstruate. And then if you say no, they don't, they say you're a hater. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. 
We don't want to talk about that because it requires courage. It requires courage because some of you work in a job that if you stand up and go, you know what? There really is only two genders. You may be persecuted. And I don't mean persecuted like the Bible tells us that we'd be persecuted where we're killed and martyred for the kingdom. No, persecuted by stuff like I don't want them to sit next to me at the lunch table. And we can't handle that. Ah. And if you're not careful and you don't clothe yourself in the, in the armor of the Lord, you will. Not you might, not it's a possibility. You will be swayed to the mind of the enemy. You will be swayed. Because the heart of man is evil from his youth. So if you do nothing, the natural place for your heart to go is to evil. See, it's one of the most foolish things that have crept into the church in the last 50 years. And it is the idea that man was created good. It's the idea that, that really if you do nothing, you'll just be a good person. That goodness is just comes naturally to you. And if you don't serve the Lord or you just don't, you'll be a good person. You ever heard stuff like, oh, everybody's good in their core? That's a lie. It's not true. And I can feel the opposition even in the room when I'm saying it. People are like, what are you talking about? How could you say that? What do you mean? I'm a good person at my core. You're not. I'm not. The Bible says the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. And who can understand it? That's what the Bible says. Well, I believe. I don't care what you believe. This is what the Bible says. We got a lot of Christians who put on the label of Christ but don't believe the Bible. And they only believe the Bible when they don't disagree with it. When they read something that they disagree with, it's always their opinion or their professor's opinion or their mother's opinion or their best friend's opinion or the diversity, equity, and inclusion officer at your job's opinion. You believe that above what the word of God says. And if I've come to tell you anything this morning, I've come to tell you, wake up and believe the word of the living God. Because his word is infallible. And the Bible says if you do nothing, your heart will go to evil. That's why Jesus says you must put on the mind of Christ every day. That's why the Bible says we have to crucify our flesh daily. We have to wash ourselves in the word. Why? There is a devil loose. None of this is in my notes. There is a devil loose, and he's after you, and he's after your children. And for some of us in this room, your personal opinion means more to you than the eternal life of your children. And you don't think so, but that's the path that you're on. If you say things like, I don't know, I don't agree with that, I don't know, that bothers my flesh, this bothers me, I'm not sure about that scripture, and I'm going to put that to side. The devil will get into your home. He will take the lives of your children. You must die to your right to have an opinion about some stuff. Sometimes people ask me a question, what's your opinion on this? Well, it doesn't really matter because the Bible says this. And so I don't really care what my opinion is. I put that to death. Put that opinion to death. And even when other people are giving us stuff and you're bombarded with all of these ideas and what about love and what about compassion and what about empathy and people are confusing the compassion of the Spirit of the Lord for the fleshly empathy that we feel to people. So we empathetically want to coddle people on their pathway to hell 
instead of compassion moving us to action of truth. You see, when we create warriors, warriors are steady, warriors are vigilant. They are ready at all times, undistracted. Warriors are not hysterical and fearful. We live in a society saturated, inundated, completely covered with hysterical fear. Everywhere we turn, hysterical fear. Hysterical fear everywhere. We saw it last week in Los Angeles County, or week before last, or whatever it was, a couple weeks, they all run together. Worst, oh, there's a hurricane. Oh, God, there's a hurricane. They were sending out text messages, deadly, life-threatening hurricane coming. Hide in your homes. They shut down the schools. They closed businesses. Global warming is causing a hurricane. You know what happened? It rained. <laughs> Didn't even rain a lot. It rained a little bit. It was one area that flooded, but it rained a little bit. I'm not getting on that. I just want to tell you, it is an example of the irrational hysteria. People believe the media more than they believe their own eyes. Because they have a news media that says, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And all they had to do was open the door. And there was a bird chirping and the sun was shining. And the highways of Los Angeles County were completely empty. Folks, the sun was shining. But the news said, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And people believed what they heard on the news more than they believed their own eyes. Huh. And we're surrounded by it. We are inundated with a hysterical, fearful society. Warriors are not hysterical and fearful. Warriors say things like, God hath not given me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Warriors do things like Jesus did and walk straight up to lepers and lay hands on them and watch them be healed. Warriors do things like Paul did and said, I can drink poison and I can walk among the dangers and no evil thing will come near me because the hand of the Lord is upon me. Warriors do not give in to hysteria and to fear. There's new waves of hysteria and fear. There's a new variant out. Oh God, there's a new variant. There's two new variants. You got to get your 47th booster. You got to be afraid. You got to put on another mask. You got to put on a third mask. We got to be afraid. We've got to be fearful. We've got to hide in our homes. Be afraid. Be afraid. Be afraid. Be afraid. Why? Because the enemy wants to distract us. Wants to keep you from being a warrior. Wants to distract us from the things of God. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15 says, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness, somebody say readiness, readiness. given by the gospel of peace. God wants to give us the shoes of readiness this morning. That word peace is the Greek word irene. It means total, totality or completeness. It means success, fulfillment, wholeness, Harmony, security, well-being. In the classic Greek, the word Irene literally means a condition of law and order that results in the blessing of prosperity. I love it. In the Septuagint, that Greek word Irene means it is used to translate the Hebrew word salom or shalom. It means nothing lacking, nothing broken. 
That is the peace, the gospel of peace that the Lord wants to give to us. It means that no matter what is happening around us in our society, there is a supernatural peace that the Lord wants to impart to us. See, peace isn't the absence of struggle. Peace is the presence of Jesus. We have this idea that peace is not something. Peace is just the absence of other things. No, peace is a thing, and peace has a name. Peace is the person of Jesus. When Jesus steps in the room, there's peace. When we can encounter Jesus, there's peace. When we're walking with Jesus, we fear nothing. See, Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. And my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Say, not as the world gives, but I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I love Jesus. I love the word. I love how intentional he is with this word, with his word. He says, let let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. What does that mean? It means we have a choice. It means we get to decide if we're going to lean into peace or we're going to lean into fear. For some of us, you need to log off of social media. You need to turn off the news. You need to turn away. There's some people you need to stop listening to. You need to say, I'm not going to let my heart be troubled. I'm not going to let myself be afraid, but I'm going to lean into the peace of Jesus. And we've all had situations and circumstances where we've been faced with a decision. Are we going to let our hearts be troubled? Are we going to turn to peace? Story many years ago, Nikki and I were not married long, and we had Alex. Where's Alex is running around here somewhere? My big old 18-year-old son now. And he was a baby. He was less than six months old. And we had taken this ministry opportunity, and we were moving across the country, and we had accepted this offer letter. We were young kids. They'd given us an offer, and the offer I was going to make $40,000 a year. And back so many years ago, it was, uh, that was all right. And we were like, all right, we can make this work. And we got a little bitty apartment, about 700 square feet. We crammed all of our stuff in this tiny apartment. It was rent-controlled, praise the Lord. We go in there, and the first day, my, now, listen, my U-Haul hadn't even been unpacked yet. It's sitting in the parking lot. First day in the office, I walk in. My direct supervisor meets me. She's like, hey, it's good to see you. Welcome. It's good to have you here. By the way, we need to talk. Um, we actually are not going to be able to do the 40. We're going to pay you 23000 a year. Yeah, I, I heard the sigh. 23000 a year. That was well below the poverty line. And we were broke. And waves of fear and anxiety began to sweep over me in that moment. Little beads of sweat began to pop up. And I had all of this fear. And I said, Lord, how am I going to provide for my family? What are we going to do? I I, I did the math. It wasn't possible. The math ain't mathing, as they say. (laughs) I knew what it cost to buy food. I knew what it cost to pay rent. I knew what it cost to do things like, you know, unimportant things like electricity. I said, how are we going to do this? And We were so broke at times. We were so struggling at times that we couldn't even afford diapers some weeks. And we'd put on the little burp cloths, you know, that they have around Alex. I'm embarrassing him big time. And then put a Walmart sack around that just to make sure it didn't leak, right? And we were struggling. I remember one time I was driving in my car, and it was late at night, and I had no gas. 
like no gas. Anybody been there before? Driving on the fumes, believing God. How am I going to get? Oh, God. Jesus, multiply. <laughs> Do a loaves and fishes miracle. And so I, I stopped. I was not in a good part of town. And this gentleman came up to my passenger side window, and he's like knocking on the window. He's like, let me in. Give me a ride. I was scared to death. I was like, we'll give you a ride. What? And then I'm like, I was turning to do something. I was going to turn back and tell him I can't. And he was sitting in the passenger side of my car. He opened the door and got in. And he goes, don't be afraid, dude. Just give me a ride. It's just right down the road. And I'm shaking. And I just felt like, all right, I'm going to give this man a ride. And I drove literally maybe two or three miles on the road. He goes, this is good. And he gets out of the car and he comes around the other side. And I think it was $50 or $20 he hands me through the window. Now, at that time in my life, that meant the world. Back then, 20 years ago, that could actually fill up your tank with gas. And it was, it was the difference between me being able to get to work or not. I believe in that moment that it's a strong possibility I was entertaining angels. And either way, the Lord used that situation to bless us. We had money deposited into our account. One day we got up. We needed a certain amount of money to pay rent. We woke up that morning. It was $700 had been deposited into our account. My wife calls the bank, and she's like, uh, what happened here? And they said, oh, it was a bank error. We had accidentally done some stuff, so we, we, we refunded it. She goes, listen, <laughs> there's never been $700 in this account that wasn't spent. It's impossible that you have made this error. They go, no, ma'am, it was an error. She said, if we spend this money, she goes, let me, let me, we are going to spend this money. Are you going to come and try to take it back out and overdraft my guy? Like, no, no, this money is yours. We were able to pay our rent that month. This was just a season of our life that everything we had to depend upon the Lord. We had to ask the Lord, depend upon the Lord, and make the decision to pursue peace. And while it was a difficult season, it is among the happiest season of our life. And we have so many wonderful memories, and it laid the ground and prepared us to be able to walk through much harder seasons later because we built a reputation, a story with the Lord. You know, at first, I was angered. I was angry at the situation was angry at the things I'd been promised. I was angry at the situation. I was passionate, looking for justice. I'm going to give you a caution this morning. We are surrounded by injustices, and we're seeing insane things happen in our society all around us. Don't let your passion for justice cause you to carry unrighteous anger and lose your peace. You see, your agitation, frustration, and anger, it should come when you see the enemy destroying God's standards. But there are times that we can step into unrighteous anger, and then we lose the peace of the Holy Spirit. Lance Walnew said this, never let your frustration with society overcome your delight in the Lord. Keep our focus on Jesus. We walk in peace and we let Jesus determine how justice is served. He said it in Luke chapter 10, verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. In other words, don't worry about it. It's none of your business. I'll determine what happens to that peace. The peace doesn't necessitate the changing of your situation. It necessitates the changing of your perspective. 
We often think that the way that we find peace is if we can simply change the situation that we're in. But most of the time, Jesus wants to teach us how to find peace, even though our situation hasn't changed at all. But how has our perspective changed? Philippians 4.11 says, Not that I am speaking of being in need. This is Paul speaking. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. See, there's no peace without contentment. There's no peace if we can't find that place of godly contentment. We must have the outlook of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. He said, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I love this scripture. It's one of my favorites. One of the reasons is because Paul is declaring things that just simply aren't true yet. But he's declaring these things in faith in the pursuit of peace. Paul said our light and momentary struggles. Paul's struggles were neither light nor momentary. They were heavy and long-lasting. Paul had been through some stuff and he was going through some stuff. But he made a decision even in the midst of his unchanging present circumstances to change his perspective and to let not my heart be troubled and let me not be afraid. And what can the enemy do if we pick up an attitude like Paul's? What is the enemy supposed to do with you if you walk like Paul and they come to you and they say, we're going to lock you in prison? He goes, oh, would you? Because if I'm in prison, it's going to give me a whole lot more time and I'll be able to complete the rest of the New Testament. And I've been writing. I have been so busy. See, prison will just clear my schedule. And they said, fine, we're going to let you out of prison. Oh, would you? That'd be great. Because if I'm out of prison, I can go among the nations and preach the gospel. And they said, well, fine, we're going to kill you. Would you? Because I've been struggling. Because to die is to be with Christ. But to live, I can advance the kingdom. Thank you for helping me make that decision. What do you do with a man like that? What do you do when no matter what the enemy throws at you, you go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Let my heart not be troubled and let me not be afraid. Whatever the enemy may bring to us, we know that we hold the hand of Jesus and he is with us at all times. You see, that godly contentment isn't in action. It's the acknowledgement that I can do nothing without Jesus. The definition of contentment is strong enough or possessing enough to need no aid or support. But that godly contentment recognizes that I'm strong enough, possessing enough to need no aid and support except from Jesus. That I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. I am content where I'm at. Contentment in the Lord. You see, godly contentment and the gospel of peace is for a purpose, not a nap. It's not a lullaby that is supposed to put you to sleep. Peace, godly peace doesn't paralyze you. Godly peace propels you. 
Peace leads to the shoes of readiness. Ephesians 6.15, put on what? The readiness given by the gospel of peace. We have this idea that peace is some lullaby that is supposed to sing softly to us and put us to sleep and have us do nothing. But no, no, no. The peace of the Lord clothes you in readiness and propels you forward. That word readiness is the Greek word hedoimasiai. It's a difficult word. It's a mouthful. It means preparation, preparation of the throne, a ready throne, or the throne of the second coming. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Repre- reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Romans 10, 15 says, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. I want to give you a caution. Don't confuse contentment with hesitancy. Don't think that peace and contentment from the Lord leads to you being fearful or hesitant to move. No, we must be ready in season and out of season. You can't be hesitant and have on the shoes of readiness at the same time. And in my own life, I've been leaning into that that spirit of heaviness. There's an apathy that can rest upon us. And I want to share some things with you this morning in my own life that I regret. And hopefully it will give you a warning moving forward. There's a season in our life we were in ministry in Austin, Texas, and we rented this house. And it was hesitancy that I allowed to rest upon me that prevented me from buying that house. We rented this home for four and a half years because I was afraid to make that financial commitment. If I would have purchased that home and sold it four and a half years ago in Austin, Texas, I would have made well over $100,000, probably around $250,000. But what happened? Hesitancy. It was a fearfulness. It wasn't a contentment. It was hesitancy. It was this inability to rest in the peace of the Lord that gives me the shoes of readiness. Hesitancy will lead you to be slow to move, to be slow to make decisions. Hesitancy will cause you to be in relationships and friendships and business relationships that you know are detrimental to your life, but you are too hesitant to move forward. Hesitancy will cause you to be slow to step out because once you do, there's accountability. Once you step out and start that business or make that decision or buy that home or do whatever, there's be, there begins to be accountability on the decision that you've stepped out to make. And hesitancy, the lack of peace, will cause you to delay what God is asking you to do. You can become stuck in a never-ending cycle of what you think is preparation that leads to utter and total inaction. Don't be stuck in a cycle where you think, if I just get this, if I just take this one more class, if I just take this one more Bible study, if I just do this one more week, if I just take one more season, and if I just wait and wait and wait and wait and miss out on what God is leading you in to do. John chapter 10, verse 10 
says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, the enemy never stops trying to steal your future. He never stops trying to kill your destiny and destroy your effectiveness for the kingdom. And if he can't get you to fall into temptation, he'll get you to fall in weariness in the middle of your good. See, most of us in this room have probably moved on from the temptations of our earlier lives. If you're still there, there's no shame, there's no guilt. Jesus is going to help you to grow in your life. But if you've been serving the Lord for a while, you're probably not as tempted as you used to be to go back to the things of your old life. You probably moved on from that temptation maybe to, to do drugs or to go to alcohol like we, we, we graduate beyond some of those temptations, but don't get confused and think that the enemy has stopped chasing after you. Because if he can't tempt you with the things that used to tempt you, he will tempt you with weariness in the midst of your good works for the Lord. Galatians chapter 10 verse 9 says, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if, say if, we do not give up. That word weary in the Greek is the word enkakomen. It means to be utterly exhausted, wearied out, or spiritless. One translation of the word is cowardly. Another way to translate is they omitted through cowardice to send assistance. In other words, the weariness of doing good caused you to become fearful and cowardly and not send assistance that you were able to send. Not do the work that God has called us to do because of weariness. Proverbs 3.11 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. 2 Thessalonians 3.13 As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Do not grow weary in doing good. See, there's a difference between being tired and being weary. Tired is what happens when we've worked hard and need a break, but weary is what happens when we've lost sight of why we were doing the work to begin with. Tired is when you become weary when you stop trusting that, you, know, you become weary when you stop trusting that God is in the middle of your situation. You become weary when you prioritize your will over his. So how do we guard against weariness? Well, the first way is to have a daily encounter with the Lord Jesus. Is that every day we refocus ourselves on Jesus and we prevent ourselves from the natural state of being pulled into our own priorities above the priorities of the Lord. And we ask the Lord questions like, what are you saying and where are you leading? And what do you want me to lay down and what do you want me to pick up? But we think in our flesh that if I'm weary, I should just stop doing stuff and that will fix my weariness. Weariness has nothing to do with your schedule and it has everything to do with your spirit. We combat weariness through gratitude. Stop having your head on a swivel. What an insult it is to the Father to covet what someone else has when God has given us so much to steward on our own. But we, re we fall into weariness when we look around and we say, man, I wish my spouse was like that person. 
I wish my children were more like them. I wish I had that house. I, I wish I had that job. I wish that I lived in that city. I wish that I had that calling on my life. And I, we're constantly looking, searching for something better than what God has given us to steward instead of daily going before the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm so thankful. Lord, I'm thankful for what you've given me. I'm thankful for my husband, my wife. I'm thankful for my children. I'm thankful for the job that you've given me to support my family. I'm, I'm thankful for the friends in my life. I'm thankful for the home that I have. We refocus on gratitude. Don't focus on the enemy. We become weary when we take our eyes off of the Lord and we put our eyes on what the enemy is doing. We become hyper-focused on witchcraft and attacks and delays. We have to be aware of the spiritual warfare, absolutely, but what is Jesus doing in the midst of it? We gotta ask ourselves questions like, what can I do and have I done it? And if you've asked the Lord, Lord, what can I do in this situation? And then you've put action to what he answered and you actually do what he's told you to do, then we can find thankfulness and contentment contentment in the midst of the waiting there's sometimes you're in a situation where there's nothing left for you to do the situation isn't changing but you've asked the lord what to do about it you've taken the steps of action you found a place of gratitude there's nothing left for you to do but wait and find contentment in waiting upon the lord see weariness isn't something that happens because of too much work Weariness is what happens when we're working toward our own priorities and not his. Worship team, if you would, come on up. I want to take us, I want to take us back to our story that we opened with in, in Luke chapter 10. This is the story of Jesus going into the village of Bethany. He was going to have dinner with his friends. These were people that Jesus was in intimate relationship with. He knew these folks. He was relaxed. He was going to have dinner with Martha and with people he was in relationship with. And Martha welcomed Jesus into her house. And we, most of us in this room, we know this story. And Martha's super busy. Martha's like many of us are. She wants to make sure that everything's perfect. She's lighting those fall candles. My wife was lighting fall candles last night. It was 118 degrees. It's like, it smells like leaves. Like... That's because the leaves have just caught on fire, burnt, shriveled up, and <laughs> fall to the ground. We have a fall here, too. It's just because everything's dead. It's the sun just fried it, and the leaves fall. It's a little different than the Northeast, but we have a fall. She's lighting the fall candles, and, oh, it's fall. Turn the air conditioner up, put on a scarf. Y'all are laughing because you do it. I know. I know. But Martha's preparing everything. She wants to make sure that the house smells right and that all of the food is designed perfectly and that everything's beautiful and clean. And she's focused on all of her, her priorities. Oh, the temptation. See, the enemy is a lot of things. The enemy's so evil, but he's not stupid. Satan will get us so distracted, distracted by really, really good things, 
man, I've been there so many times myself. Martha's all distracted. She's so concerned about everything. And here comes her sister Mary. And you know, Mary's making a scene because the Bible says that she was a woman that had, she had a lot that needed to be forgiven. In other words, Mary was a sinner. And, and there was a lot that she needed to be forgiven of. She came into the room and I know she turned heads. Is looking towards her and you just see this picture of her weeping, crawling to the Lord. She breaks open this box, this alabaster box. Y'all, it was beautiful. It was costly. The Bible says that that box cost about a year's wages. The perfume that was inside of it, it was, it was not a small thing what she did. And there's this moment of her pouring out everything that she has on the feet of Jesus. And Martha comes in and she's complaining. See, Martha's not a bad person. She was serving Jesus. She says to, to the Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all of this work? And she's just laying at your feet. Don't you care? Tell her to get up and help me. Oh, guys, I've been in this spot. I've been that Martha. Being on staff, serving in churches. I've been busy trying to please man. Trying to look like the hardest worker, the one that gets the stuff done people worshiping and me taking out the trash and vacuuming the floors. There's nothing wrong with serving. It's a beautiful thing. But if you're not careful, you find yourself annoyed with the people who sit at the feet of Jesus. Look at them. Sure wish I had the time to just lay around and cry. This is Martha. She became annoyed with her sister and you see the heart of Jesus he doesn't rebuke Martha he's not unkind to her he says Martha Martha you're anxious and troubled about many things but one thing is necessary he said and Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her see Martha was working for the day Martha had been really busy. She'd been doing good. She'd been serving Jesus. She'd been working for many hours, making sure that that place was prepared for him to be comfortable. But she was working according to her own priorities and not his. And Martha became weary in her well-doing. Martha was so wearied working that day. And we often have this idea that Mary, Mary wasn't tired or weary because she wasn't doing anything. She was just laying at the feet of Jesus. But this week, the Lord showed me, he's like, wait a second, Mary had been working for a year. Mary took a year's worth of labor in that box. Day in and day out working when they worked 2,000 years ago, it wasn't like how we work today. 
was hard work. Whatever it was that they did was difficult and laborious. She'd worked a year's worth of wages. She came crawling into the presence of Jesus and broke it over his feet. See, Martha wasn't weary because she'd worked longer and harder and put in more effort. And Mary was at rest because she didn't do anything. It was actually the opposite. Martha grew weary because she forgot the one thing that was necessary. And her own efforts wearied her in but one day. But Mary, Mary worked for a year just for Jesus. She wasn't wearied. She was at peace. She was at rest, breaking her labor over the feet of Jesus. There was a spirit of religion in the room. See, religion puts work and burdens on you that Jesus never intended. When Mary broke that, people began to whisper and say things and accuse her because that spirit of religion prioritizes man's desires over God's desires. The religious are always weary. They're always weary. They have a weary spirit. And when we get weary, we get angry at those that are at peace. See, weary people equate worship with waste. Weary people equate emotion with emotionalism. Weary people are too focused on the sins of others to be grateful for the forgiveness of their own. Mary wasn't trying to do a work for Jesus. That wasn't her goal. It wasn't about her ministry. It was about becoming his friend. And what happened? What happened when Mary reprioritized Mary said, I, I don't want anything. I just want to sit at the feet of Jesus. I just want to give him everything that I have. Mark chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus says, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. She touched the world. When she changed her goal to just minister to Jesus. See, when we get weary, we just want to stop and do nothing. When we get weary, we just want to sit. We want to do nothing. I'm weary. I can't take another step. I can't do anything else. I'm done. I'm finished. Talked about it a bit at the beginning of this message. My testimony was in that season of life. I was so weary. I told the Lord, I am done. I can't do anything else. The Lord taught me that the way out of weariness is to put on the shoes of readiness. Given by the gospel of peace. The way out of weariness is not to do nothing. The way out of weariness is to do the gospel. 
everybody would stand to your feet. What is the gospel? The gospel is his work, not mine. So how do we combat weariness? We go. Matthew 28, 19. This is Jesus commissioning his followers. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We can't be weary when we're with Jesus, but you can't be with Jesus if you're not going where he's going. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 7, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick and raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers and cast out demons. Then he says, you're going to go to some villages, and in some villages, they're going to be worthy. They're going to be receptive. They're going to be ready to receive what you're bringing, and in others, they're not. And he says in verse 14, and if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. In the Jewish tradition, in that age, shaking off the dust was a symbol of shaking the memory of a place off of you felt the Lord say today as he's preparing us to be clothed with the shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace he said wash your feet from the disappointment of the past come on just prophetically just shake off the dust Ah, shake off the dust of the disappointment of previously unanswered prayers put on the shoes of readiness Come on, ready yourself to heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse the leper and cast out devils. The shoes of readiness to preach the gospel, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, but pastor, it didn't work. Shake off the dust from your feet and do it again. But pastor, I prayed and believed and it didn't shake off the dust and do it again but I prayed and I fasted from my marriage and it's the same shake off the dust from your feet and do it again but I went and I ministered to my friends at work and they rejected the gospel shake off the dust from your feet and do it again but I've been believing to be healed in my body for years shake the dust from your feet and go and do it again just lift up your hands just lift up your hands Lord, I pray that you would lift weariness off of your people. Come on, just ask him to lift weariness off of you. Father, would you lift weariness off of us, Lord? Would you lift fear off of us, God? Would you help us to shake the dust 
of unanswered prayers off of our feet, to shake the dust of disappointment off of our feet. Would you free us from fear and anxiety? Would you free us, God, from hesitation? Lord, would you clothe us with the full armor of the Lord? God, would you put the shoes of readiness on our feet, given by the gospel of peace? Lord, let peace fall upon us, Jesus.